0: Coming up on episode 189 of Wheelbearings, we're driving the 2021 Acura NSX, Volkswagen Atlas Cross Sport, and Ford Mustang Mach-E. We talk about buying Teslas with Bitcoin, Jeep Trailhead EV chargers, and Rivian's move to set up its own charging network. We finish it up with some questions, and that's all ahead on episode 189 of Wheelbearings.
3: Did you know you can support Wheel Bearings directly? Head to Patreon.com/WheelBearingsMedia, and you can become a patron today. Your contributions will help fund the platforms and tools we use to bring the podcast to you, and exclusives and improvements are already on the way thanks to your generosity. So, if you want to be part of an automotive podcast like no other, head to Patreon.com/WheelBearingsMedia. This is Wheel bearings. I'm Dan Roth from Forbes. I'm Sam Aboul-Samand from Guidehouse Insights,
4: and I am Nicole Wakeland from a whole bunch of different places.
3: What's the? <laughs> what's your favorite? Oh, what's,
0: you probably oh, not favorite? Favorite? <laughs> yeah.
4: Then everyone else is going to fire me, right? <laughs> Get you um, in trouble. What's what's okay? I'll just say the first one that came to mind: car expert. How's that? Okay,
0: perfect. All right. I'll Sounds say like
4: good. a different one every week. Oh, that's good. Yeah, you, and you
0: yeah. Know, you can get them in a bidding war. Be like, look, you get first billing right. on the.
3: There you go. Like,
4: who <laughs> will give me five bucks to <laughs> say your name first? Exactly.
3: <laughs> we'll sell we'll sell the naming rights for the show. Right. We've had some new
0: Patreon supporters sign up, so I wanted to say thanks to Ronald Richmond, Chin Amin, Marcos Bello, and Tristan Ollie. Thanks, everybody, so much for your support of Wheelbearings. It helps us build out some content that is underway that's coming. We've got some writer auditions going on right now, so stay tuned. There's more to come, and we appreciate your support. And so if uh, you haven't caught up to last week's episode or you missed the little snippet in the middle, um, Nicole, you are our newest co-host on Bearings.
4: Yes, I am, since Rebecca left, and I actually helped her relocate all the way across the country. Um, I'm going to take her place or I'm going to try to anyway. So, yeah. So, thank you. I'm happy to be here. This Uh, is kind of fun.
0: We are. We're glad to have you. Yeah, we're thrilled to have you. Um, (laughs) I'm surprised you made it back in one piece so quickly. Uh, That's impressive. Maybe there's a story there from the the relocation, but. Why don't we give you top billing? Um what have you been been driving around since you I'm, landed?
4: I'm in a totally boring car that nobody notices and not a single person has stopped to take pictures of me in traffic. it. Happens uh, especially sort of, in that color.
0: Yeah, yeah the color in just color, blends into the, the background. Color, Yeah. It happens I am
4: to of in I am in a what do they call it? Indie yellow pearl, I believe is the color 2021 Acura NSX.
0: That's
3: really um, dull, I'm sorry. Maybe next so week we can the, get you in a nice camera, you, know, right? you know, those, those, those boring hybrids. I mean, who, who wants those?
4: Right. It's like totally dull. I'm like, well, okay, I guess I'll drive it if I have to.
3: And it's only got two seats. I mean, what are you going to do?
4: Got two seats. What am I supposed to do with like that? Literally, I was taking things You're trying to go someplace and I have a teenage daughter. I'm like, well, you can drive and meet us. Right. Cause yeah. I want to take the NSX.
3: <laughs> so yeah,
4: that is what I am driving. Uh, and it's, it is a hoot to drive that thing. I love that car.
3: Is this the first time you've had an NSX?
4: I drove an NSX for a hot minute at an event a couple of years ago. And literally it was like this horrible, heavy traffic. So it's like drive 10 minutes that way, but you're only going to go five miles an hour and then come 10 minutes back in the same traffic.
3: <sighs> what a waste. So it's
4: technically second time, but yeah, total waste the first time. Well, I don't
0: know. Uh, it's not necessarily a waste driving a supercar like that in traffic, at least lets you know how it behaves. They're, they're, you know, um, cl- classically finicky and they hate to go slow in traffic so to,
4: they don't like slow yeah I mean they're they're not cars that like slow even just like driving around town when there's a stoplight they don't have to slow down too many times it's like stop this yeah. find a highway woman I'm like okay hold on I'm working on it
3: compared to other you know high performance sports cars you know how would you say the NSX fares? okay
4: I don't, and I know, Dan, I think you had the NSX already, right? No, no you didn't. Open no, settings, I, I thought you
3: had. No. I was under
4: the same impression you had. Was it you, Sam? No? I, I,
3: yeah, I had it uh, for a long weekend a couple of years ago. And I also okay. had a couple of short periods with it. I drove it at Milan Dragway. They were doing a, a, a demo event with their launch control system.
4: So. Got it. Cars like this, these sort of supercars, they're always a little, generally speaking, they're great and they're fast and you feel the power and you hear the power. And they sound fantastic but they can be sort of a pain in the neck to drive for too long. Like they're very harsh. They aren't nice to just cruise in. The speed is cool, but the ride itself isn't. This is fantastic. Like this is truly one of my favorite cars in this sort of range price, you know, performance car category, because it is just, it takes all the best parts of being this powerful, loud, almost obnoxiously glaring, you know, thing driving down the road. But also being something that you like driving, you're not so squished that you feel like you can't move your arms. You don't feel like your knees are hitting the sides. I I really liked this weekend. Like I'm loath to give this up on Monday. I'm probably going to get the most boring tame car ever, and it's going to feel like I've been knocked right off my perch. But uh, yeah, I really have enjoyed driving the NSX. It's been a lot of fun.
3: That's the thing about the NSX when the first one came out in 1990 transformed the expectations that people had for these what we back in those days, we called exotics. Nobody was calling them hypercars or supercars. then. they were they were exotics. At the time, you had stuff like Ferraris and Lamborghinis. And as you said, Dan, you know, they were always kind of finicky to drive. They weren't any fun to drive in the city for sure. And the original NSX totally changed the expectation that people had for these kinds of cars by making it Fast, but also very civilized. You know, the one time I had an opportunity to drive an an original NSX, I got in, you know, it feels like an Accord. Well, that was, yeah, that was the thing. It's like a really fast
0: Accord. And that's exactly what it was. It was really the first car of that type capable of that kind of performance that just worked like an Accord. It you know, was that kind of reliable and easy in any conditions, and uh, that kind of quality that you'd expect. You know, if you look back at a Ferrari of the time, like some, what would be a contemporary Ferrari, like a three forty eight? Uh, that, yeah, probably a
3: three forty eight at <clears> that time. Yeah.
0: Very hand built. Um, which uh, it it can be quaint and it's interesting to look at. But when you spend that kind of money on it and then you compare it to the NSX that cost what, like 60 grand at the time, there was really no comparison. The NSX was built much better. So that kind of build quality and ease of use and reliability, you have the original NSX to to thank for the uh, Ferraris and Lamborghinis that we have now.
4: Yeah, it's it really was striking because as excited as I was to drive this, I was thinking about what you were saying, Dan, it's going to be this finicky thing. I'm going to like have fun putting it on the highway, but it's going to be sort of trying to drive it almost as a daily driver for the week for a long weekend for four days. And I haven't found that at all. Like to a shocking degree, I thought if you, you know, close your eyes, didn't know what you were sitting in it feels just like you'd be riding in the court. It feels like any, it feels a very comfortable, very smooth ride. Only when you really match the gas, suddenly the sound of it and the feel of it and the way it throws you back in your seat, you're like, oh wait, not in the court, you know, but it's, it's an unbelievably comfortable car. The only thing that, that is a challenge, I think, and you get this with anything like this, my husband is six, three and <laughs> I couldn't stop laughing every time he got in with the passenger side because it was a sort of like pretzel folding situation. He's like, how do you get in and out of this? I'm like, Just like that, honey. That's all you got. (laughs) You know, he can fit in there, but he has zero room once he's in. But getting in and out because it's so low when you're a taller guy is a little bit of a challenge. But that's any car that's low like that.
0: See, the trick is just don't grow so tall.
4: I know. I told him you just need to shrink a few inches. Like six three is too right. much for the NSX. Just maybe six foot. Well,
0: luckily, with buyer demographics, by the time you can afford one of these, osteoporosis has kind of set in, and you've shrunk a little bit.
4: Maybe right. It'll, it'll shrink enough to fit by the time we can afford to buy this. That's horrible. Um, and I had one other really stupid complaint. Ready right for my stupid complaint? Everyone can get mad at me. There are no cup holders. I wanted a coffee. I stopped and I got a my favorite little drink at Starbucks, my little London Fog Latte. And I went to put it in the cup holder and there isn't one. So my husband was my cup holder. Um, <laughs> but like there was, so you have nowhere to put a drink. They're literally, I mean, I get that there's zero storage. You know, I can fit like your phone, this tiny little pod behind you, but there's nowhere to put a drink.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's maybe a message about its purpose built nature, but it seems like even people who drive cars like that would, like to drive with a coffee or a water or something right.
4: on occasion, even when you're screaming along in your hypercar, supercar, exotic, whatever you want to call it, you might like a warm beverage or a cool beverage to make the drive that much better. And you can do that, but you either hold it in the hand of someone with you or wedge it between your knees. So, yeah, well, I mean,
0: bed. you know, as so I was going to say, it could be like uh like it was in the eighties or with my first cars where I would find, where can I jam this cup? Can I put it between the seat and the, uh, the, uh, parking brake lever, which is not a thing modern cars have, uh, uh-uh. or kind uh, of go between the seat and the door. But it's just, it's inviting disaster. Um, especially if you have the cup, like if you do the, the common, like, I'll just stick it in my lap, um, and then you need to step on the brake real quick and <laughs> you crush the cup, and it's hot coffee? Yep.
3: That's... <laughs> been there yeah. done that not at <laughs> had
4: the things that used to be able to hang on oh. like i had a little clip that went in the window yeah. yep. and then hung in the window which is great until you forgot you had it there and for some reason you put your window down or yeah. something and it's like oh and then your whole coffee is like ready to fall out or again the short stop would send that entire thing dumping into your lap yeah. it was it was awesome you can yeah. go mm-hmm. to the
0: uh, the marine supply store on our boat when i was a kid we had these things called Jimbuys, and they were little it's like a, a little bracket and so you can just <laughs> screw that right to the dashboard, and then it's a little gimbal mount for um, for a, a drink. So it has it's like a, a, a C-shaped bracket that goes into that gimbal, and then it's got swivels on a little basket. And so it it you put your your drink in there, and it'll it'll you know, compensate for the, the motion of the waves.
4: So, it's just, it's cool. If that sounds, I don't think I could screw, screw anything in. into the dashboard of my $157,500. Well, it's it's not yours. NSX. See, that's the thing. It's, it's, not, it's not yours. I'll just do this accurate. <laughs> and be like, hey. what are you do nothing, I wanted them to have a place for their drinks.
3: Well, what we do on film shows is we just fill the holes in the wall with, with toothpaste. It's just,
4: <laughs> there, 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 there
3: are there are far more famous car reviewers out there who have done far worse damage to very expensive cars. So <laughs> you know, I think that yeah, accurate.
4: Okay, so when I when I do that, try that later. I'll let Chris at Acura know. Like the guy said, right. he totally blew this. Said it was okay. okay. I right? can tell Chris. Said that said I told you, fine.
3: yeah, Chris. Okay. Chris will come find he me. And said so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so let, let let me ask you this: Have you driven the C8 Corvette? Yes. So you mentioned the price of the the NSX, you know, starting like 156 dollars. Yeah. I think this is the challenge that, that Acura and, and a lot of other supercar makers have now is you've got this Corvette that starts at sixty thousand dollars. How how do you, you know, how would you rate the, the the NSX versus the Vet?
4: You know what? It's really hard because I think two things happen. Yeah, there's a huge price jump between the Vet and the NSX. So there's two things. Not that you see a Corvette on every corner, but you sure see them on a heck of a lot more corners than you see the NSX. So there's a certain exclusivity, you know, that you're paying for, that it makes it, you're paying more, but you are getting something that's cooler in the idea that nobody knows what the heck you're driving until they swivel their head around to see it. So the the rarity of this makes it sort of more interesting, more fun, if that's your boat. Also, I I. I mean, I definitely liked driving the NSX more than the Corvette. I love the Corvette, but there are things that are much more drivable in the NSX. Now, is it, what, $100,000 more drivable in the Corvette? Uh, That's a lot. But I think it's sort of appealing to a different person, that somebody who really wants the supercar experience, but wants an element of exclusivity. Like I said, you see a lot of Corvettes. Because they are more affordable, you see a lot more of them. You drive an NSX, you're probably the only one in town who drives one. It's
0: not necessarily that you get a hundred thousand dollars more performance either. You know, the Corvette has generally always been really competitive, performance-wise, for the money. So the things that you you get when you buy a different car are that exclusivity. Um, certainly, some of the the things that Chevrolet has to do to make the Corvette sixty or seventy thousand dollars, Acura doesn't have to do when their car is twice that. So that's and and the ex, like just uh the idea that you're not you're not seeing yourself everywhere like all of those things i think are the inherent value in in that or you know some of the other even more exotic uh cars there are the nsx is pretty rare i think you'll probably see an italian exotic more often than you'd see an nsx
4: i don't i know that i've never i mean i'm in new hampshire we don't have a lot of exotic cars anyway but i there's a you know we see corvettes um, there's someone in town who has a McLaren. We see some Lamborghinis. I've literally never seen an NSX yeah. anywhere.
3: Well, Acura only builds, they only sell about five or 600 NSXs a year globally. And in fact, they just, they just announced that they were ending sales of the NSX in Japan because the sales were so low. I think they had sold really? about 70 or so over the last two and a half years. By comparison, Chevrolet, builds about 500 corvettes a week you know (laughs) accurate builds 500 a year so why do you
4: think the nsx did so poorly in japan
3: i don't know i mean it's hard, hard to say certainly you know for the for the japanese roads you know it's relatively large it's expensive you know i don't think that in general i don't think a lot of these really high performance cars sell from any brand in japan Good point. So something about the NSX, for for whatever reason, it's just never really caught the public's attention since the new generation NSX came out. You know, despite its success in racing, I think it's a fabulous looking car. It certainly drives great. You know, just something about it. It just has not caught attention the way even a relative newcomer like McLaren has. McLaren sells a lot more cars just in the U.S. than Acura sells uh, NSXs globally.
4: Yeah. I wonder if was just part of the idea being that like McLaren, everyone you get is this fancy expensive car. Acura, you can buy an, an affordable Acura that regular humans right. can buy. Like, so people don't necessarily. <laughs> yeah. 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 You can buy one that like people can afford. So <gasps> people think of it as like, sort of a luxury brand, but it's one you have a chance of buying someday. So to have a car in there that might not be the one that you can ever buy People just don't even think of that with the brand, you know? Yeah, I wonder if yeah, that's part of point.
0: it. You know, I, I think part of the original NSX too was that it, it offered that quality and performance for Corvette money. It, it wasn't really yeah. much, much more expensive than a Corvette. Now it's a lot more expensive than a Corvette. So it's a different thing now. And this car mm-hmm. took a long time to get to us. Uh, I remember we were waiting for the new NSX. For a while, and
3: we, I, I, I sat through at least three uh, Acura press conferences at the Detroit Auto Show, showing you know the the new NSX concept, you know, as it went through various iterations from the first time they showed one up until they finally had the production model. It took a long time because I mean they did a lot of redesign under the skin you know Mm -hmm. over the course of its development because it didn't start off as a hybrid you know it started off with a transverse v6 they went to a longitudinal v6 they made it a little bit bigger a lot more powerful um so it it changed quite a bit you know over its long development period
0: yeah i it's inexplicable to me why why it hasn't become more of an icon or more impressive I mean, even the Ford GT, right, has gotten successively more expensive and exotic and different. And that sort of has a shine to it as well that maybe the NSX
3: does. I don't know. It's, maybe yeah. they need better marketing. We can help them. So how much, was, how much is the one that you have?
4: Well, I did not have one running in the glove box, but I tried to price it out. And it looks like the one I have, I got to look at my notes, because it had all the carbon fiber accents, which is another almost 10k
0: you have to have the carbon fiber i mean like, right? right it had
4: the carbon fiber fiber engine cover which is 3600 and i believe it had the ceramic brakes 10k so i think we're looking at somewhere in the neighborhood of 185 ish probably more because i'm sure there's stuff on there that i'm missing because i was literally just trying to piece it together um so you're probably you know one dollars it's not a cheap Not a cheap choice by any means. But if I had $185,000 to burn, would I park that in my driveway? Absolutely. If I could park uh, a $185,000 Acura NSX, because I had the cash and cash didn't matter, or the most tricked out version of the Corvette, which probably still isn't even going to come close to that, I wouldn't think. I think you can probably add everything Corvette, puts on a Corvette, (laughs) I'd still go with the NSX because I just enjoyed driving it that much. It was just such an easy car to drive. You could really drive it every day. It wouldn't be one of those things you'd only take out when it was sunny and you just wanted to go for a cruise. You could really drive that often and enjoy it.
0: Yeah. I would be curious to see the comparison between like the NSX and what's the what's the cheap McLaren? You mentioned McLaren. Somewhere. Uh the,
3: the 620 cheap McLaren. Yeah. And it, that's about to be replaced by the... <laughs> Has
4: anyone retailer. ever said those two words, cheap and McLaren, <laughs> the, together yeah, like the, that the, in the
3: history? The, the most affordable McLaren. The most, most affordable.
4: There you go. <laughs> I mean, what's uh-huh. the McLaren
0: that costs like a... Uh, a, a Not quite
4: know, as much as your house. Right, fixer, <laughs> the, least,
3: the least ridiculously priced McLaren. Yeah. <laughs> but, I think they start around 200 grand.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, they make okay. a car that's like right in that that range. That would be... So the, then we need to do
4: that. I'll just tell McLaren, hey, give me a car so I can compare it to the other." Yeah. You know what? You
0: need to do yeah. that. Sure, NFL. that'll totally happen.
3: you know... You are you are a actoy juror now, and <laughs> they just launched the Artura, you know, yeah. So that that should be eligible, I would think, for you know North American Car of the Year. Okay,
4: I, we'll see if that ends up in I, my driveway. I'm not holding my breath.
3: They'll they'll fly you to uh, Yas Marina in Abu Dhabi or some some place okay, like that Abu to drive. Dhabi, it.
4: that sounds that good. Doesn't sound bad. bad. Yeah, I mean that'll work if
0: I
3: have to. <laughs> um, all right, so Sam, what are you driving? So I had the Volkswagen Atlas Cross Sport, the 2.0 SEL Premium. So it's got the, the two liter turbo four cylinder So this is basically the same engine that's in a GTI, but in a very, very different vehicle. <laughs> I've always liked the Atlas, uh, you know, since the you know, since I drove the original one, what, three years ago, I think almost now it's a good you know, mid-size, you know, upper-mid-size SUV, crossover SUV thing. You know, the Crossport, basically, they shaved off, you know, the back end of the roof line and ditched the third-row seat, which was always kind of dubious, you know, because the, the Atlas is not really, it's one of those, you know, upper-mid-size that they put it, they offer a third, they have a third row in there, but it's certainly not. Big enough to accommodate adults it's really a kids only seat in that third row did but you try the, and
4: climb back there
3: i have in the past so the Crossport doesn't have doesn't offer the third row it's so strictly two row. Okay. to the atlas it's kind of like the uh passport is to the honda pilot gotcha. you know so same same chassis same wheelbase but you know a little bit shorter body and they, they get rid of the third row the upside of that is you have enormous cargo space in the back behind that second row. There's a lot of cargo room in there, which makes it really great, you know, for you know road trips or you know whatever kind of you know lifestyle activities, beach carrying, all, whatever you need to wherever Costco. you need to take it. It's great in that respect. I've always thought the the Atlas you know drove pretty well. Never had any complaints about that. The I don't. I think this is the first time I've had one. The, all the, the previous times I've driven the Atlas, a couple of times I've had the Atlas. It had the, the V6 engine, the 3.6 liter V6, which actually feels the, the the. I was just looking at the specs. By the numbers, it doesn't have a whole lot more torque. Like the the Turbo Four's got 258 pounds feet of torque, and the V6 has 266. The but it it feels a lot stronger which is odd because usually you know, these Serbo 4s usually have really good low-end torque. And I, I think it actually, the, the complaint I had about it you know, is more about when you're driving it in normal mode. When you put it in sport mode, it actually feels a lot more lively. In, in the normal drive mode, you know, it feels kind of sluggish. Um, you know, and it's 235 horsepower, which is not bad, but it, it, it just doesn't feel as, as aggressive as I, as I might want. So I ended up driving it in sport mode most of the time. Or it actually feels quite good. I I liked it. Fuel economy didn't quite match up to the the EPA numbers, which are, you know, it's EPA rated at 22 miles per gallon. I think I got about uh, 18 and a half, 19 miles per gallon with it. Oh, Um, that's ugly. Yeah. You know, so for, you know, for a vehicle in this size class, it's not, you know, not that impressive. I mean, you can do a lot better, you know, and I think I've I've actually gotten better fuel economy in the past with the V6. So I think, I would probably recommend, you know, going with the V6 just because it generally feels better than the four-cylinder does and generally gets better fuel economy. Because I think the four-cylinder, because it it seems like it's got to work harder, you know, it's generally not going to get as good fuel economy. I think, Um, to
0: be fair, though, uh, among other vehicles that size, that class, that fuel economy is not off the mark. It's just... That's about what you're going to expect. I usually get
3: over 20 without too much difficulty. You know, usually get in the 21 to 22 range. Yeah, I would with expect it to be there, but
0: like our, our grand Cherokee, which is rather hefty um, mm-hmm. gets 18 on the regular as an average is, it's not uncommon depending on how we drive it. Like, so what was your, your driving loop? Or is it mostly in town or highway or?
3: Yeah, you know, it was a mix, most, mostly around town, you know. So, you know, that that obviously hurts it more. I uh, did some highway driving with it, you know. So it's not the worst fuel economy, but it's definitely not best in class for fuel economy, uh, at least with the four cylinder. Like I said, I've, I've gotten better with the V6 before. So I think I'd probably recommend people look at the V6 instead. Design wise, I really like the cross sport. I, I, I think that, changing the roof line the way they did. It definitely gives it a sportier look than the standard Atlas does. And I mean, it's it's not a huge change. You know, it's actually the same length overall, you know, and it's just a, like cutting off the, the back end, you know, like the last foot of the roof line and, you know, slanting the rear glass and it, it makes a, a pretty substantial difference to the overall feel of it. So I, I like the design. But one of the reasons why I, I asked to drive this one, because I have driven the Atlas before is uh, Rebecca had a cross back in, I want to say November, December timeframe. And <laughs> she, she had, she posted a video of her adventures, trying to use the voice recognition in this thing. Right. She was sitting, she was sitting outside the post office near her home, <laughs> trying to ask the, the voice recognition, you know to you know, nav- find this post office, right? And it was like, do and you it- mean pizza? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was a complete disaster, a total disaster. So I I tried doing that, and it was just as bad, if not worse. You know, I mean, it it was completely hopeless at trying to find anything by voice. It the VW really needs to like ditch whoever their voice recognition provider is for the Atlas and start over again.
4: Now I feel like I have to try that the first time I get one and start trying to ask it to give me directions and do things. But I have notoriously bad luck with every voice activated, everything I've ever used in my entire life. Like I could say, you know, call mom and it's like, yeah, deflating tires. I'm like, no, 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 no. That's not what I said. <laughs> like it just is not. I don't know what it is about my voice, but I never find it. It's always easier. Like I'll tell my phone, like I'll ask Siri. To do it, to do whatever I want to do, you know, to get it to work through. But if I ask the car directly, forget it. All bets are off.
3: <laughs> yeah. You know, the the overall user interface of their infotainment system is fine. I mean, it's, it's comparable to what you find in most modern cars, you know, not... Nothing, nothing particularly great or, or terrible, but just that voice recognition is just completely, utterly hopeless. Um, but what it does have, it does have wireless Android Auto and Apple CarPlay mm-hmm. support, which is good. Um, and, it you know, the one I had had the wireless charging pad underneath, you know, in the little pocket at the bottom of the center stack. So, you know. Once you connect it the first time, you know, the next time when you get in the car, you know, it just automatically connects to the phone. I don't have to mess around with, you know, plugging it in or anything like that. You know, if if the phone's in my pocket and I don't want to take it out, I can leave it there or I can drop it on the charging pad, you know, and it charges up. So I think if you get one of these, uh, especially, you know, the 2021 and newer, which has the wireless support, just connect your phone and use Siri or Google Assistant and be done with it. Don't even bother trying to use the Volkswagen voice recognition <laughs> because all it's going to do is irritate you. It what, is um, just utterly atrocious. What trim did you have? Uh, the SEL Premium. So it says about 45000 All in, this one, including the delivery charge, uh, came to $48,115. Okay. So That's close, bad. yeah. That's priced very well, actually. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's very comparable, you know, to, you know, the other top vehicles in this class, you know, and some, again, similarly equipped, you know, like a, a Kia Telluride or a Hyundai Palisade, you know, and anything else, you know, in this, this upper midsize segment, you know, Ford Explorer um, they're all, you know, in that mid to upper $40,000 range. Yeah.
4: Which of the ones you just rattled off would you get if you had your $48,000?
3: Uh, it would, it would probably be either the Cross Sport with the V6 um, or the Telluride, the, the Kia Telluride. I, I like you, the Telluride.
0: Uh, I really, I like the Telluride, although I'm holding out, I really, really, really want to drive the new Grand Cherokee. Um,
4: oh, I really want to drive that too.
0: It's, it's coming. It's coming. You can't. That yeah. wasn't on the list.
4: We had to do the ones no. that he just rattled oh, off. Geez. The Palisade, the Telluride, what else did you say? Explorer? Explore. Or the Cross
0: Atlas Crossport? Um, I want to spend more seat time in the Explorer as well. The The most recent v- version of that I had was the Aviator. And if that was any indication, I probably would would wind up with the Telluride. Um, just for the extra sort of space and ease of use and, and some of the things you get with the Kia. Um,
3: the, so the, like, Plus the Kia has the sounds of nature. Yes, exactly. That's right. You um, can
4: have like a, all sorts of random stuff playing in the background as you drive along. The uh, <laughs> <laughs>
3: they have crunching snow, just <laughs> or, or, or you know, the sound of a French cafe as you're driving down the right. freeway. Yes. Yes. I just
4: think there's people in the back seat having a little latte. <laughs> I don't think that's a problem, um, especially
0: if they speak in French, like "voulez-vous uh, la café." Uh, <laughs> uh, but the the, the atlas uh, the atlas itself, the regular one, looks pretty good. It Looks hefty. The cross sport, I just can't get past the way the, like the bottom section looks like the regular Atlas, and then the top section looks like they they put you know a, a coupe roof on it, which is is the point. But it just draws your eye down to all this weight of the, the just the meaty
3: like front end. There there is, there is a lot of visual mass in yeah. the bottom of it. Yeah. But, you know, especially like the the three quarter views. You know, I I think it you know it works. It works well. Cause, you know, it gives it that sort of almost Raptor like. You know, kind of off-road capable appearance. I mean, you know, it's, it's obviously not going to be as off-road capable as something like a Jeep, but, you know, it, it kind of gives you that feel to it. Uh, and I, I like that. I, I like that look.
0: They really did study the rest of the class and figure out what are the design cues that seem to move the metal. And it really does look like an amalgam of all the successful designs in, the, in its own class, which is fine. Like, it looks good. Oh. It's got a lot of wheel arch, though. A lot of, like, just the, the way that character line goes up over the mm-hmm. – the, the, it just – I don't know. It looks, looks thick to me, I guess. So yeah. I'm not sure what the right word is, but it's
3: – But, <laughs> you know, I mean, this, this was a vehicle that was specifically designed for the American market. And it has supplanted a lot of the, the car sales for Volkswagen in, in North America. So that's the kind of look that, to be honest, you know, that most American consumers are, are more interested in. If we're buying it, is, it. I ha-
4: yeah. I had to pull it up and look at it now. And it does, it has that, that squishy roof and the very heavy bottom. That is what a lot of the newer vehicles in that class look like, though. Yeah. You know, they really do look like that. That is kind of the style. So,
0: yeah. I Look, if it's moving cars fine because mostly i want volkswagen to succeed because they will keep paying for electrify america <laughs> <laughs> and we we could use that and i think honestly the the thing that volkswagen does that i like is less on the outside and more on the inside with their ergonomics and interiors and just the way they are to operate their infotainment aside which it lags a little bit not lags in performance but lags sort of in in user experience they still you know i still see three big knobs and some buttons for the hvac mm-hmm. stuff is where you're expected to yeah, be i think things are well
3: laid out in the interior it's easy to use yeah. you know everything everything except the voice recognition just works <laughs>
0: <laughs> i don't like to talk to people anyway
3: and i definitely
0: don't so talk to there, cars.
4: you need to buy one of these It's <laughs> 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 i can't hear you
0: so it'll be fine um i I am I'm surprised though, that it impresses you that much, Sam, that you'd buy the, the uh, or, or is it just that, that like
3: little subset of, uh, well, d- let me, let me step back as you know, I am not an SUV person or like I, you've I done the Volkswagen thing. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have been there, have done that, you know. Sold it back to Volkswagen, you know, at least the, the most recent one. What did um, you have? What, I missed? what
4: we, kind of Volkswagen?
3: Oh, uh, we had a couple of them. We had a 2000 Passat wagon, and then we had a, a 2010 Jetta TDI wagon. Okay. And and we, we did the buyback with the, with the gotcha. diesel, with the diesel Jetta. Um, I mean, they were great cars to drive. I, you know, we loved driving them. They, they had fantastic driving dynamics, you know, and I mean, they were primarily, both of them were primarily my wife's cars and, you know, she really enjoyed driving them. Even despite the issues we had with the Passat, you know, she still wanted to buy the, the Jetta. She wanted to buy another Volkswagen. And, you know, that one didn't have nearly as many issues as the Passat did. Enough time has passed that I would not rule out buying a VW again in the future. At, you know, in 2017, when we did the buyback, I was not inclined to ever buy another Volkswagen. But, you know, that that feeling has faded. Um, but just SUVs, crossovers in general, I'm not I'm not the market. I'm not the customer for those vehicles. That's true. Um, yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. I've. I, I, I buy cars. you station wagon days SUVs. are
0: past. Yeah, you, you yeah. don't. Yeah, uh, you don't have those needs. You're, you're... Yeah, I mean, we
3: we have a Civic. You know, we have a 2017 Honda Civic hatchback and and my Miata. You know, and that's the kind of car that I that so I like so to you're drive. You're like
4: the anti SUV with those things, exactly.
3: But you know, if, if if I were buying an SUV, this is certainly something I would consider.
4: I've always liked well, the first two cars I bought were Volkswagen. so I've just always. Like Volkswagens, I have no problem with buying one. I think though in that group that you were mentioning, I really like the Telluride. I just love that. Look so that.
0: the Telluride yeah. wins again.
3: That's <laughs> a yeah. It's
4: a good vehicle. It's good, it, dang it.
3: It <laughs> is. I mean, if you need, you know, a larger vehicle like that to to you know haul people and stuff around, which I mm-hmm. don't, you know, then you know it's a great choice. And I like the design of it, the way it looks, you know, the way it drives and, you know, Mm -hmm. the way the the way it's laid out inside. Uh, You know, I like all of that about the Telluride.
0: It's just that that great combination um, that makes it uh, tough to tough to beat. I've been driving the another Super Duty, right? No, no. (laughs) Another Ford. Uh, but they I was so excited to get this they, they dropped off the uh, Mustang Mach-E the other day and then I promptly didn't drive it for like a day and a half because I was busy with other things um, so I've put some miles on it I haven't put as many as I'd like to and I know we had some questions from listeners their, their main concern is does the range hold up? And the best I can say right now is that it's showing about forty nine, forty eight percent battery. And it says it's got 96 miles of range. Um, so that seems like it's, it's calculates out to being right on what they say it's supposed to be off the top of my head. I'm not, uh, I don't have all of the numbers in front of me, but it's, it's fine though. Like you don't, Don't worry about range. (laughs) It doesn't, it's not going to get you, uh, just charge it when it needs to be charged and it can do things like, you know, fast charge. If you have a station near you and you can clearly see how much range you've got left. So just plan that said, this is probably the best EV I've driven so far. Uh, and I haven't driven every EV available, but this is a really, really complete effort. I'm very impressed with the Mach E, uh, Played around with some of the features. You know, it has the things that will please you if you expect it to be Mustang-ish. Uh, you can put it in unbridled mode, which is my favorite in terms of driving dynamics. And it has the... Um, the it'll play the little rumble from the back speakers of the V8 if you miss that. <laughs> <laughs> I... I found myself just shutting it off because the trick with the EV is just like you get that kind of performance and it's quiet about it. It's just, it's a different experience. And it, kind it, it's kind of like my, my daughter was, uh, picked her up with it and we got on the highway. So we went up the, the on-ramp and just to get that surge of torque, she's like, woo. <laughs> I was like, yeah, it's <laughs> like, it's like riding the Rorosaurus at, uh, Storyland, <laughs> you know, because it's just, the electric motor acceleration is what what happens on a roller coaster and that's that's what you get the same kind of thing you just you start to go fast it's really well put together the interior I think is you know it's there's some criticism that I think is is valid you've got to trim weight and cost out of the car though so overall I like the design i I like that the not just Ford but other automakers too are using fabric as an interior design element it's a nice touch to have that speaker grill kind of fabric everything looks good the the cowl is pretty low for I guess a modern car um so I like how there's not a lot of stuff in your face the giant screen is still taking me a while to get used to I'm finding my way around it I think that's one of those things where uh and this is another thing where my my daughter 15 year old you know they're all like tech wizards she's like where do I find the the, like how do I find my phone to pair it up and stuff it's like I I Let's hang on. Let's figure it out. <laughs> like, why is it so hard? It's like because you set it once and then like once the car is set up as your device, it's it, the stuff you want is there. So you only go through the pain for that first, you know, f- few days or few weeks of, of ownership. And then you, once you learn it, everything becomes second nature. You can customize the screen to, to have what you want there. So as an owner, I think that's much less of an issue uh, than it is as a reviewer. It's, I'm probably not going to get all the way through learning that interface before I have to hand the car back. But the, the instrument panel in front of you is just this little led that gets blocked by the wheel a little bit. So I was like, Oh,
4: I found that too.
0: Yeah. Um, I
4: was wondering if that was, I'm interrupting. Cause I was wondering if it was just like my height or how I sat my seat or but I felt like it, it took the edges. Like I yeah. couldn't see the whole thing. And I thought that has to be just me that for some reason I'm exactly the wrong
0: I, spot. I mean, it jar- could just be us that we are, we're not the right type of shape. I, and it's, there's not really information over in the edges that get blocked, but it's still, it's like, that. that's like
4: disconcerting. You. you feel like you're missing something, even though you're not.
0: Yeah. But dynamically, you know, the steering is great. The acceleration is certainly fun. Um, the ride and handling are well done. It, it's very composed. Uh, you know, I've had it on back roads, and it actually, uh, just the way it goes down the road encouraged me to bend it through some of my favorite curvy sections, and that was a good time. So, uh, you know, EVs sometimes tend to not want to be driven in anger. <laughs> they kind of, they, they oh. doth protest uh, with their tires and stuff. Uh, this The Maki e is just, a, it's a really complete effort, as I guess uh, sort of my best way to describe it. Rear-seat headroom's not super great. Uh, I think it's, it's fine for what it is. I, you know, the hatch area is a good load area. I stuck a bike in there. Um, I went and picked up the bike from the shop. So, you know, as a car that you can use, I think it's the right call to have it be, a Four door, five passenger Mustang. Um, I mean, they own the Mustang brand, they can make a whatever the hell they want to call a Mustang is a Mustang. <laughs> so,
3: um, hey, I mean, back in the 60s, you know, they looked at doing you know Mustang sedans. You know, they there were multiple prototypes of Mustang station wagons, yeah, which you know, I still think they should have built at least one of uh, those. There,
0: I mean, there's custom <laughs> ones out there, right? Oh, yeah, I've seen the custom yeah there are. One. Uh, you no, know, it's a really good car, and the Mustang brand I think helps sort of get the get people chattering whether or not they love it or hate it. Uh, you know, the guy across the street, he's got a, a Grand Cherokee SRT and he's, he's you know, hot rods and stuff like that. So he backs out of the driveway yesterday and he rolls down the window and goes, that's a Mustang, huh? It goes like a Mustang. And, uh, you know, overall, it's it's just pleasant. It's, it's really, it's a good EV effort. And I, I think it's got a bright future. The thing that I was on the lookout for, and and some listeners have asked us how the brake handoff between regen and friction is and and that's i think where their over the air software update is going to help them uh this is i think this is the first four that can do ota
3: um yes. and so that's well, this and the f-150 the okay. new f-150 yeah. can also do it
0: yeah that's gonna help them out because i think that the one pedal driving is i wanted to be able to adjust the aggressiveness of the one pedal driving and i if you can, I haven't figured it out yet. I don't think you can. I think you just put it in one pedal mode.
3: Yeah, you either enable it or disable it. Right. There's um, no, there's no gradation for yeah, it.
0: Yeah. So it can be a little aggressive. I actually prefer it in non one pedal mode, just because it, it still seems to regen a little when you coast, and it's not quite as hard. Like you, you get a lot of decel out of it at all times when you're in one pedal driving and you let off. And there are times where you do want to coast a little more and, and you don't want to regen as hard. So that's something they can solve with a software update. Uh, and I think that also plays into the braking with a handoff between regen and friction. Uh, it can be a little grabby. I, I, I think one of the things that happens as a car reviewer is we drive a lot of cars and we adapt to stuff like that. So maybe the first couple stops was, like, yeah, all right, that's a little grabby. And we figure it out pretty quick. If you're coming from a different car, you don't you don't drive a lot of stuff on a regular basis, it may be a little bit more disconcerting. I can see what people are talking about. To me, I don't I don't really find it to be an issue.
4: You know, I think you might be right, Tam, because we do so often have to get in a vehicle that you're not quite sure how the braking is gonna feel, you're not quite sure how the acceleration is gonna feel, and you have a couple of awkward stops or starts before you get the hang of it, that if you've never done one pedal driving like that before, I do think it'd be a little bit tricky in the Mach-E and you might have that moment of, Oh, I can't do this. This is, but it's going to take some getting used to and it is a little grabby, but I wonder how much that would uh, bother people who really never experienced that kind of thing before, because it is more aggressive. Hopefully, like you said, the software updates will smooth out that transition and make it a little easier over time.
3: Yeah. It it always is challenging to do the blending between regen and friction. I mean, the last couple of years i was working as an engineer that's actually what i was working on was <laughs> electrohydraulic brake systems for for hybrids and, you know, we're, that was one of the challenges was going between back and forth between regen and, and friction braking, and trying to get that transition smooth. It's really hard to do because friction brakes can be very inconsistent, you know, depending on how hot they are, if the brake pads are, or the rotors are wet, you know, if it's cold, uh, you know, all kinds of different conditions change that. And if you've got one or the other, you, you do get used to it, but, it, you know, when you're trying to control that. That blending of the two, it's it's really hard from a software perspective, and one of the things you can do in the Mach E, you know, if you switch the drive modes, like you can't you can't really control the the one pedal driving directly, change you know the amount of regen you're getting, but um, if you switch between the unbridled and the whisper and the engage. I forget what the, engaged mode, uh, it does actually change the amount of regen you get. So if you go to engaged and or down to to whisper, you will get a little bit less aggressive regen. The first time I drove a car with really aggressive regen like that was back in 2008 when uh, BMW launched the Mini E. Remember that fleet they had? Mm -hmm. They built like 500 electric minis as a pilot program to, to learn from. And they leased them out to customers so they could learn how people use EVs. That was the first one I drove that had that kind of one pedal driving. And at first it was really disconcerting, but I, I got used to it pretty fast. And, you know, it's just a, a matter of you, you learn to modulate the accelerator pedal. So it's, it's not like with a, ga- a gas car where, you know, when you lift your foot off the accelerator, it just sort of coasts. Now you, it's more like, um, you know, bumper cars when you go to the the uh, the midway, you know, because those are one pedal <laughs> and work, you know, very much the I, same I way. I think
0: that's a really good analog for it, yeah. it And once you get used to it, you start to be able to anticipate
3: what you're going to get so you know... Yeah, you know gonna, just how much to re- back off the pedal to get the amount of braking that you want. Right,
0: and so you can come to a full stop behind somebody or, you know, to a stop sign or stoplight or something without ever needing to use the brakes. But even in... Um, even in regular driving mode, uh, without one pedal, the, the brakes can be a little grabby and a little, um, inconsistent. I, I suppose some, some folks have, uh, felt that way. I didn't find it inconsistent. I I do think that there's, there's maybe a little bit of difficulty in modulating the brakes. And, and I think again, that's, that's something you can tune out of the car. So, and if those are our two main complaints, it's like, how the brakes work (laughs) and how one pedal driving is it's like for a fully new model that because you look around the Mach-E they've really anytime you're doing a car like this where you're reinventing sort of the propulsion system but you're also reinventing the car itself around it you know to to reflect that they didn't have to do it this complete they could have just you know stuck this powertrain in a you know, in an Explorer, for example, and it would be like a regular Explorer with a, an electric motor or whatever. But it's not that it's every aspect of the car has been considered, you know, the door handles are different. We talked about that on the, the show when you had it, Sam, um, you know, with the, the button and the little handle there. Um, the, even in the interior door handles are different. They remind me of the ones in my Volvo seven forties um, because they're in the armrest and you pull them back like that. But it, all of those little aspects have been rethought. And so that's kind of like a continual delight as an owner or a driver to just see every everything you do with the car. Somebody's been here and tried it and thought about it and done it this way or designed it this way. And that way in the Mach-E is sometimes different than the way it's been for 40 years and, and everything else so that's that's fun i i like that aspect of it too uh and yeah,
4: it was it was a very thoughtfully <clears throat> excuse me thoughtfully designed car there's nothing in there that you think they just phoned this in they didn't pay attention to it there's a lot of thought that was put into how it looks the ergonomics of it how it is to live with it how it how it feels to drive that car and, and ride in it um, and like you said, if the only thing we can complain about is that it takes a little longer than we'd like to get used to the graviness of the brakes. And the more you drive it, the more that's going to become intuitive. I think of it a little bit like when you get behind the wheel of something that has a manual transmission. I know like we're the only three people that know how to drive those anymore. <laughs> right. um, but, you know, not every manual is the same. Some yeah. of them you get in and you're trying to find that pressure point on the clutch. And some of them, you don't have to think about it. You get it right away. Others like, whoa. And for a few, you know, the first couple times you're stopping and going, you're driving a little bit like someone who's just learned. You got to figure that out. Once you get it, you've got it. And you never have to figure it out again. Yeah. So I think it's just a little bit like that. There's a learning curve to it. And that hopefully between that and then smoothing it out over updates, it's something won't be an issue.
0: Yeah. So what did you two think about it? You guys, you, both of you have had a chance to drive it as well. Am I, am I off my rocker? Am I on point? What's, what's our... Mach-E consensus. I,
4: no, I agreed with you. I mean, I did notice the grabby brakes. The first, I was thinking about it as you guys were talking, the first vehicle I ever did with one pedal was actually the Nissan Leaf, which is an entirely different vehicle, but like one pedal driving is one pedal driving. I love the know?
0: Leaf too. I love that car.
4: <laughs> right. and But the Leaf was, and I remember, with, I was trying to remember, what was it like the first time I got behind the wheel of something with that one pedal driving? And it was hard, Like, but I don't remember it ever being as grabby as the Mach-E. Yes. I never remember, you know, it was that first, like, okay, so if I take my foot off, whoa, and suddenly you're stopping because I'm taking my foot away too fast. But I remember finding it a little easier to modulate. And that was like the first ever. So I do think there's a difference. Like I definitely think the Mach-E is grabbier, but I figure, okay, it's just going to take a little more time to get used to. It. If I was driving this every day back and forth to work, like in the before times, then you would get used to it pretty quick. Right. So I, it's, it's it's just a learning curve with it but overall i thought it was great i had the steering wheel issue that you had but using it sitting in it the materials it has that very um sort of utilitarian kind of thing that evs do because they're trying to get rid of as much weight as possible it's not overdone inside but it's kind of streamlined and elegant i i liked it yeah. overall i thought it was great i
0: thought the design is quite nice the materials uh, you know i kind of have to give them a little bit of a pass on that. They're, they're trying to get cost and weight out. So exactly. It's not going to be, it's not a Lincoln. You know,
4: you can't have genuine wood and genuine steel and genuine leather everywhere, or you're suddenly well, that.
3: Actually, actually, it doesn't have leather at all. Um, right. This is one of the things they talked about at the the launch of the the Maki. Was you know this use of what they call vegan leather? It's a synthetic. <laughs> you know. it's
4: basically, yeah. fake leather, it's, but thank yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> not leather.
0: <Yeah. laughs> and it's fun,
3: though. It feels like leather. But it looks like. Yeah, it's, it's,
0: nice. it's a nice yeah. material. Yeah, it does. Um, yeah. So who needs it's, cows? It's not, not like,
3: like it's not like the you know the the plastic. Plasticy vinyl that was on the, the seats vinyl. in my in my dad's nineteen seventy three wow. Dodge Dart. Where you'd you know? sit
0: on it with shorts and you A, it would it would oh, like, your
4: legs it, oh, right it would worst.
0: sear you and then you'd stick oh, through it. Yeah. Yeah. It would
4: burn your legs. Oh, I used to hate <laughs> my mom had a you were, cent, no Century? Yep. And it had navy blue vinyl seats oh, that were sort of eh. like this. Yeah. Oh God, that thing was the worst
3: <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But to to the question of range, um, you know, the, the I assume you, you probably had the, the extended range, extended range battery, all wheel drive, Maki. Uh, it's all wheel drive. I, I
0: haven't looked to see what. Yeah, I think says. I think
3: all the ones in the press fleet are the extended, the longer the bigger battery. Oh, and which to is, be
0: fair, too, like this
3: is a pre-production car.
0: This ha, it doesn't yeah. have a price on it says not to be sold. So that means that yeah. some of the tuning may not be final. That's that's yeah. something I should say.
3: I think I think. They, you know, they're, they're regularly updating the software in the, in those, in the press fleet cars, but the, um, you know, it's officially rated at 270 miles of range with all wheel drive It's 300 miles with the rear wheel drive version. Um, Edmunds just published, you know, they've, they've actually published two articles over the last month or so where they did a bunch of real world range testing with a, a whole group of EVs and, you know, to see how the real world range compares to the, um, to the epa numbers and and the uh the first one uh the the original one they did you know the longest range was the model three tesla model three long range which is rated at 353 it went 345 miles the porsche tycon which got a lot of criticism including from me when it when it came out last year um uh, for only having an epa range of 203 miles they actually got 323 miles out of it. And wow. almost everybody that's driven the Taycan has gotten way beyond what the official EPA range is. Um, and it came in second. The, uh, the Mach-E was um, fifth. It's at 270 miles. It got 304 miles on their huh. real-world test. Wow. So, and, you know, the, the testing I did when I had it uh, in early February uh, with, or late January was, uh, you know, that was when it was very cold. And, you know, I drove 164 miles and still had 80 miles left on it. You know, so you're in the 240, 250 mile range, you know, even, you know, at sub-freezing temperatures, which is actually really good. Did you use the heat and stuff
0: at all or did you precondition?
3: I mean, I preconditioned it, but then I, you know, I had the, I had the climate control on, you know, but I had it, you know, set at like 65, you know, so it was comfortable, but, but, you know, not, you know, using too much of the battery and, you know. I think you know in moderate, in more temperate weather, you know I can definitely see getting you know 300 miles or more out of the thing. So I think range is not really an issue for the for yeah. the Machi.
0: Well, one of the questions we had was how usable is it both day to day and can it handle weekend trips, uh, 200 miles from home, for a family of four. I think uh, it's eminently usable day to day. Build quality is great. Um, you know, and even on a pre-production car, I'm not noticing any flaws in terms of like body gaps or anything like that. No rattles. It's just nice and tight. They've, they know how to put a car together. Uh, so this one is, is screwed together. Well, I, you know, 200 miles from home, if you're doing a 400 mile round trip, as long as you have charging where you're going, that's fine. Uh, you should have no problem getting there. Uh, the Ford pass app will sort of help you plan your trip. It's going to show you chargers. That's where I actually found the the closest fast charger. Cause I can, I can go and charge at level two in town. Um, but I want to try fast charging because there's uh, reports of the fast charge level ramping up and then quickly back down once it hits a peak. So I want to see if I can have anything to say about that. I don't, I don't, I don't know what my experience is going to be. We're starting to see that wave of solid EVs coming from everybody. You know, Volkswagen's right behind ford with with their evs that are going to start to hit the market and they're all moving very aggressively to get them into the market that edmunds tested they test them to they actually run out of juice or did they test them till they were displaying zero range
3: the original test that they did in early february they published in early february was testing it till it was at zero range uh, tesla actually complained Quite vociferously about this because every single Tesla that they tested, and they tested a bunch of different variants, you know, model Ys, Ss, and Xs, every single Tesla fell short of the EPA range, while almost every other EV exceeded the EPA range, in some cases by a significant amount. And Tesla complained about this and said, well, we leave a, a buffer in there. Even when it's at zero, there's still some charge left. And so they went back. Edmonds went back and, and retested some of them, and they retested five, uh, five of them, or six of them, and uh, four. Even with that extra buffer, they, they ran it until it came to a complete stop uh, and had no no charge left. And four of the six still failed to meet the EPA uh, range, even with that. So it's you know, te- I mean Tesla you know is kind of notorious for um, overstating on the EPA range, you know, it almost every independent test that's been done North America, Europe, elsewhere, uh, of range with Teslas fall, sees them falling anywhere from 20 to 30% shy in many cases of the EPA range numbers.
0: Yeah. I I, mean, I think it's, it's a great effort and I hope that they build more EVs on this platform. I I'm pleased with the Maki. Yeah.
3: It's, it sounds like they are, uh, in fact, you know, there, there's, there was some news out of ohio last week originally i guess they they had planned in the last union contract they had told the uaw that they would build evs at the uh, avon lake assembly plant uh, near cleveland and currently that plant builds medium and heavy duty trucks they were going to do evs there but they changed the plan and they're actually going to build a couple more evs in quatalan mexico where they build the E and because they want to keep building the medium and heavy duty trucks in Avon Lake. And the union was not thrilled about that. You know, they said, well, no, we want EV production. It's like, well, you know, it's not like you're losing any, losing any jobs. So anyway, that's a whole other thing, but yeah, they're they're going to be building at least a couple more vehicles off the same Mach-E platform, one of which will almost certainly be a Lincoln.
0: And that will have the nice interior that everybody Yes. Can, yeah.
4: Yes. The real wood and the, all the other fancy trims. The, it, yeah.
0: yeah. Full of fat leather. <laughs> All <laughs> <Pulled> that
4: leather. <laughs>
0: So we've gotten through the fleet. I love the first topic that we have here on our list, um, buying a Tesla with Bitcoin, because that just seems like the more we talk about words like that together, we're going to get sucked into a vortex.
4: <laughs> like just,
0: it's, that's just like, that's tech bro buzzword bonanza there. Um, but if you buy a Tesla with Bitcoin, you're going to get whacked for taxes.
3: If you're not familiar with Bitcoin, first of all, you know, Bitcoin is a cryptocurrency. It's a
0: giant Excel spreadsheet. That's all that's really like slightly <laughs> more complicated than that. But, yeah, close. So uh, <laughs> also, yeah, if and, you're buying Tesla because they're saving the world, understand that Bitcoin is the like filthiest, most dirty, yeah. power consuming thing. Right. You should just not. It,
3: it, it, it requires a lot of power, a lot of electricity to mine Bitcoin and then also to do the transactions because of the way it works with the this idea with of the, the blockchain. <laughs> yeah this fancy spreadsheet the the idea the concept of the blockchain is actually really cool and i'm not going to get into that today but there's a lot of really interesting applications of that this is not one of them you know the <laughs> problem with bitcoin you know is is actually because of the way it was set up it's actually a really terrible currency to use you know as, as something to use to buy stuff it's it's really not very practical at all and it's it's complicated and, and you know there's a lot of problems with it well
0: it's not but, a fiat currency like like well, we it is. That, is it it's i thought it was more like something like gold where it's like because there's only so many it's you know the it's it's different than like a dollar which is you know it's yeah yeah right the dollar is just paper, yeah, but but, it's but you know a, by, a, bit,
3: a bitcoin you know, a Bitcoin only has value to the extent that people believe it has value. Well, yeah, so, which but, is what a fiat currency is. I, okay, I thought. I mean, at fiat least fiat. at least with gold, you know, you have you can have a physical coin that you mint that's, out that's of gold. True. That's true, and Bit, you can right. exchange something physical in exchange for some goods, and you know, you've got something that you know has some. Like, you know, I mean, even the value of gold to some degree is fiat, but yeah, but, you know. Uh, and we don't mean, we don't we don't mean you know, the bit, automaker. Bit, bit, Bitcoin is Bitcoin is a fiat currency that's not controlled by any government. I
0: think that's where I'm I'm getting that, stuck because yeah. like our fiat currencies we tend to think of them as backed by the full faith and and you know whatever of a of a government and you know that that government that those that federal backing means that they're generally good for their debts, um, right. And so a fiat. Whereas currency, Bitcoin has none of
3: that, right? Like <laughs> it's what it's valued at whatever people trading it on any given day think it's valued at. Um, Which is ludicrous, but, yeah. So, <laughs> so the thing is, okay, because the value of Bitcoin bounces around all over the place. Um, you know, it's highly volatile, and a lot of people are investing in it. You know, actually, I wouldn't say they're investing in it; they are speculating. Nicole, do you own the- any
4: Bitcoin? I do not own any Bitcoin. Okay. I do not. Do either of you?
3: No.
0: no.
4: <laughs> I didn't think so. Did you suddenly think
3: I was quiet? Because like, she owns Bitcoin. She no, I no, I just wanted to know. I just uh, No, uh, what, one I don't. One of do my, one of my do. kids does. She she has invested in Bitcoin. Okay. And, but that's a whole other issue. I don't want to get did into you, that. Did sure. she
0: invest like back in the day and then lose the. The the like the pass key or whatever like no, oh, yeah, no, I have no Bitcoin on no, a hard drive small, somewhere.
3: Yeah. I have a million
4: dollars of Bitcoin, but, but it's on a hard drive in a
3: dump. Well, uh, <laughs> one of the, one of the things I, I I do a weekly car tech segment on Leo Laporte's Tech Guy Radio Show, and years ago uh, Leo had set up uh, a tip jar for Twit for his Twit podcast network um, for where you could donate Bitcoin, and you know he people had donated uh, almost eight Bitcoin into that <laughs> tip jar.
0: It's got to be worth a lot now.
3: It's, it's worth about half a million dollars now. <laughs>
0: wow.
3: The problem is Leo has the, the Bitcoin wallet. He has no idea what the password is there are companies for the last can, three oh. years. Didn't didn't for
4: didn't the Cara, last... didn't How does Leo go report lose that. I mean, yeah. Mr. Uh, techie guy. How does Leo uh, of all of just, wait, make wait. That wait.
0: And hang on.
4: Aren't they sponsored by LastPass?
3: <laughs> they were, yeah.
4: <laughs> <Oops>. <laughs> <laughs>
3: but for for whatever reason, Leo never actually put the password for that wallet in LastPass. The, you know, there I are companies. That, that, yeah, there are companies
0: that can help him figure that out. I, oh, yeah. my entire
4: impression of Leo Laporte have, no. The man lost his password. No, you know, he's, he's just, just like, like
0: us. That's all. He's just like oh, us. Exactly. He's just what? a man of have, just like, like we, we have so, passwords on scraps of paper everywhere. Yeah.
3: so. So the thing is, you know, because Bitcoin's value bounces around everywhere. You know, when you buy some Bitcoin and then you go to spend it on something, it's going to get converted back to dollars or to some other currency. And when you transfer it to somebody else, now that um, the difference in that value from when you bought it to when you transfer it, in this case, transferring it to Elon Musk in exchange for uh, a, a Tesla vehicle, the IRS wants capital gains tax paid on that. If you bought that Bitcoin at $20,000 and it's now worth $60,000, you're going to have to pay taxes on that. So you're potentially, you know, depending on you know, how much the value has, uh, has appreciated over time, you may be, if you buy a, a $50,000 Tesla with Bitcoin, you might be on the hook for several thousand or perhaps, depending on how long you've been holding that Bitcoin, perhaps tens of thousands of dollars in uh, capital gains tax on, you know, just in addition to the price of buying the car seems so, to
4: happen anytime, though, whenever you no matter what, then when you when you finally use that Bitcoin to buy it. Oh, then. yeah,
3: no, that's that's so absolutely it's just true. Whether
4: you want to have it in little tiny bits and pieces as you spend your Bitcoin wherever or yeah. one ginormous chunk when you spend a whole bunch of it to buy yourself a Tesla.
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think the best way to think of it is um, it's a lot like your your IRA or something, right? Like it's it's got this this value. When you cash that value out, you're receiving that money. You need to pay tax on that money because, depending on your IRA, I know there's some that you pay tax on the way in. But if it's a traditional IRA, when you take a distribution, you've you've got a capital gain. Like you have right. you have gotten the capital out of your asset or your your investment, so now you need to pay tax on that um, at that time so bitcoin is really like that sort of idea where it's got value stored in it when you extract the value now you're on the hook for the taxes of of that value um it seems like a much higher tax rate than what you would pay just like a normal transaction for a car like a tesla like if you weren't paying with well yeah
3: (laughs) you're paying that in addition to i think the capital gains tax rate is like 15 percent um, so you're paying that on top of whatever sales tax, you know, in the state where you buy the car. No
4: sales tax.
0: Yeah, right. <laughs> and I'm sure there's a lot of Bitcoin tech firms in, in New Hampshire. They like New Hampshire because it, it's uh, tax.
4: There is a Bitcoin um, machine dispenser. I don't know. Like there's a thing at like this local little diner. And I always see it. It's like a little box thing on the wall. That's like a Bitcoin thing. Huh. I've never investigated. I'll take a picture. I'll show it to you. I, but I've never, I'm like Bitcoin. Why? And it's in this like little diner. Just randomly, I don't know. Maybe you can pay for your food in Bitcoin. I don't know. I don't know. I
3: want to get a burger and fries worth of Bitcoin. I That's an well, expensive you know, it's fun- meal. It's funny, you know. There, are, there are stories like back in the early days of Bitcoin, and you know, early 2010s. Uh, there was a story of some guy. You know, at, when it first launched, there were a few places that were started accepting Bitcoin as payment, and some guy, you know, bought a pizza with like seven Bitcoin. You know, when it was worth like a, a dollar. You know. And just, I wouldn't even want to think about having done something like that. You know, now, you know, that's seven Bitcoin, you know, it's a million fixed, dollar pizza, four hundred four $400,000 pizza. <laughs> the
4: most, it's like those crazy meals you get where you get like, you know, shaved gold on top of something, oh, yeah. you know, the edible yeah. gold. Meat, it's like, that was not, that's basically right. like what it, it, the, those are the
0: automaker right. luncheons that they have us uh, press people to. It'll right.
4: be one Bitcoin for each of us <laughs> for that lunch.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's so, right why would you ever do this what
4: well if you want it i mean if you don't have say you don't, i mean it makes no sense but it makes sense so you have to pay the capital gains on their bitcoin no matter what at some point if right. you feel like it in right right someday you're getting hit with that yeah. so you can either wait and get hit with it whenever i mean maybe you're making less money when you're retired so you're you know it makes more sense to do it when you're retired or something but you're going to pay capital gains regardless so if you don't have the money to buy the car but you can use your bitcoin and handle the capital gains, your net might still be better, you know, at this moment, if it's like, that's what stands between me getting a Tesla or not paying the capital gains on that money or having to come up with, you know, 60 grand.
3: Yeah. I mean, you know, if, if it's, you know, if you bought Bitcoin when it was 10 or a hundred or even a thousand dollars, you know, it's, you know, 55, $60,000 now a Bitcoin, you know, basically free money. So even if you take out that tax, you know, exactly. you're, you're still going to be way ahead. People uh, just have
4: to, it's just people who don't yeah. know that there's a capital gains. On yes. the Bitcoin. Just, that's yes, where just, suddenly it's like, Oh shoot. That yeah. didn't know that. Yeah. That's where really I think me. that's
0: And that's, I think the danger of Bitcoin is because it's so popular and it's, it's something that's on the tip of everybody's tongue, but it is, it's an investment. It, it's, it's an investment instrument. And so you have to understand investing. And you have to be mm-hmm. savvy about that, and
3: it's that it's would be like a speculative like, <clears throat> investment right. instrument.
0: Um, yeah. And so, anytime you're investing and you're you're doing these things, you need to understand what's going to happen. Like, I can put money in. Am I going to lose it? Um, straight speculation, or am I putting in like a mutual fund where it's a, generally a little bit of a better uh, bet? Or you know, when I draw on that, what am I gonna what am I gonna pay? You know, and that's. You know, when you when you and especially the class of investment, if you draw on your IRA, if you look at your IRA and you're like, I want a Tesla, I've got 120 K in my IRA, I'll take 60 out be good well you're actually going to pay a lot higher than 15 percent capital gains you're going to pay capital gains plus you're going to pay the early penalty so right. like each investment class has its own rules you should probably know that if you're going to put money into those things so that would be
4: the surprise anybody who bought bitcoin and thought you could just cash that in and if it was worth 50 grand now you got 50 grand it's like no oh, 50 grand minus your capital gains. Well, yeah you'll get 50 yeah. grand yeah, for a moment
3: a, and then you'll that's owe. A,
4: yeah that's <laughs> a surprise if you just take the 50 and run like no tuck a little bit out of the way because yeah. irs wants their chunk
3: so, so before you go into the Tesla app on your phone and hit buy with Bitcoin, you know, call your accountant first and ask and how much this is really going advisor. to cost yeah, you. Yeah. Um, the,
0: the do do the freelancer trick, any invoice cut it in half. <laughs> yeah. That's what you get.
4: <laughs> I literally take it. I do that. I like, always was like, Oh, look at this great check. Walt, Walt. As so yeah. I like put aside half of it so that I know that I'm good when tax time comes. Yep. <laughs>
0: um, Easy, super easy rule of thumb. So if you need to yeah. buy a $60,000 Tesla, you need one hundred and twenty k worth of Bitcoin. Um,
3: <laughs> All good right. luck. So sticking with the electric car stuff, <laughs> electric vehicle stuff, Jeep and Electrify America announced this week that they're partnering up. Back a few months ago, when Jeep first announced the Wrangler 4xe plug-in hybrid, they said uh, that they were going to install um, some EV chargers at the trailheads of some of the more popular places where people go off-roading with Jeeps, like in Moab and at the Rubicon Trail in California and a few other places. And now they've revealed more details about that. Since they're finally going to start actually shipping Wrangler 4 xes to customers in the next couple of weeks, they actually are partnering with Electrify America Uh, So Electrify America is going to do the installation and operate the chargers, these these trailhead chargers, and um, they'll be available, you know, at these various locations. So if you have a Wrangler 4xe or any other, you know, electric off-roader, you can, um, you know, you can, when you get to the trailhead, you can plug it in, charge it up. These are only going to be level two chargers, not not, uh, DC fast chargers, Uh, but with something like the Wrangler, you know, I think you can fill it up completely in like about an hour and a half or something like that. That way you can, with you know 20 plus miles of range for electric range from this thing, you can basically traverse the entire trail without any emissions. That's
4: really cool. Yeah.
0: This isn't like related to those monolith things that they found out in Arizona, right? That the Jeep quickly like photoshops their brand on. <laughs> that,
3: well, those actually, uh, I believe, were actually prototype chargers. So. Right.
4: You looked on the back; there was a plug. Yeah. Right. Yeah.
3: Um, if you if you if you feel around, you can find a little button to press. Right. A little divot there. Press that, and then a door opens up, and you get your charge cable. These are really cool know, you know. chargers, though, and, and they're going to be solar solar powered too. Yeah. they look
4: really cool. The picture yeah. it looks really slick, and it is a giant advertising billboard for jeep like if you didn't know yeah. jeep existed hey now
3: you do i, I suspect anybody heading out onto the rubicon trail probably knows the jeep even if they're driving a land rover defender or you know i still uh, want an old to drive that Ford
4: by e2 i'm so sad that we didn't get to drive that
3: earlier yeah i think i think mm-hmm. they're going to be doing something pretty soon um I, I i was just in touch with somebody from jeep the other day oh, yeah. um and he said they're yeah they're they're Finally going to start shipping in the next couple of weeks to customers.
4: Because oh, they were going to do a drive in uh, November or something. There was a media drive. Yeah. I want to say in November, don't quote me on that, but I believe it was November and then the COVID. So we didn't get to do it after all, which made me sad because I really wanted to check this out. I love Jeep.
0: Yeah, I, I think yeah. everybody loves Jeeps and, and electric Jeeps. I think are going to be a thing.
4: Wait, Sam, do you love Jeeps?
3: Um, if, 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 I'm, if I'm going off road, then yeah, I absolutely love Jeeps.
4: Okay, because you're gonna have an issue. I'm like, i keep okay you not liking SUVs, but if you have hate for Jeep, then this is my no, first no, I, last podcast. <laughs> I, I, I don't,
3: I don't have hate for Jeep. You know, I okay. think that you know, for for every task, you've got to use the right tool for the job. <laughs> I don't go off road very often. Okay. I don't, you know, I don't haul around seven people. You know, so you know, SUVs are not the right tool for that's the jobs fair. that I that I require. That's if fair. that's if that's the job that you require of a vehicle, go for it. Yeah. I mean, okay. I do right. have to
0: say, like, I I love Jeeps. I would probably not own a Wrangler.
4: Why? Why would you not own a Wrangler?
0: I, like, it's one of those things, like, I just get it out of my system every time I have one as a media loan. Like, they're they are exactly what they're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. They're a little, a little rough, a little loud, and they're more mm-hmm. refined than they've ever been. Uh, but they're, they're sure. just, they have that. So they're demeanor. still very much a jeep. They're, they're yes. exactly what they're supposed to be. After a little while, I, I am uh, old and tired, and I just want it to be quiet.
4: I love them. <laughs> when they first had the, the you Gladiator just want your in whisper right. mode. <laughs> when the Gladiator first came out, I took it all the way from Nashua up to um, Montreal. And for like an all approved, like I had paper, take it over the border, here you go. Um, that was a long drive. And I love that thing. Like I just let we have the little panes off the, you know, so the tops all open. I could have just kept driving that further into Canada and driving and driving there. Yeah, I just loved. I,
0: I, They have charm for sure. Yeah. And, and I,
3: I mean, the Gladiator Mojave is great. Yeah. I
4: love oh, that it's thing. fantastic. Yeah.
0: So I'm not anti Jeep. I just, I think that uh, my disposition, uh, I am the noise maker, not necessarily the noise okay. receiver, um, in my, <laughs> in my reality. So,
4: and then answer, you're on know, pro Jeep. I love, I love Jeep. I, my mom had, I can't wait for the new Grand Wagoneer. My mom had a Grand Wagoneer back in 1982 or something with like the genuine faux wood paneling on the side. Yeah. And, <laughs> and I love that thing. You could, fit a small army of your high school friends into that thing just saying so that's um,
3: that that is going to be the the thing that we're gonna you know the aftermarket thing that we're going to be seeing this fall is you know various kinds of wood kits for the the new wagoneers
4: you have to and i know i guess they said they didn't do it because they felt like well that was of a moment and that's not where we are now and i'm like but if you've done some little throwback made that available, there's like a lot of people who would have slapped wood paneling. On I, but well, I, think I, I think they want
0: to see what the aftermarket's going to do yeah. at, at first. They'll say, we'll let the aftermarket handle that. And if it really becomes exceedingly popular, they'll come, they'll officially sanction one. They'll, it's a good cool way to boost offer, sales. They'll
3: offer something through Mopar eventually. It'll
4: yeah. be a Mopar thing. Yeah, it'll yeah. be an official Mopar enhancement. Yeah, I hope.
3: Speaking of wood paneling, have you ever seen uh, Frank Marcus's uh, K-Car? No. No. He, he's got- I mean, I know uh, that were K- Wood panel K cars, like the, the town the, and country. He, he and his husband have um, an 84. I think it was, the, I think it was town and country wagon. So the Chrysler, yeah. you know, the fancier version, uh, town and country wagon with the uh, woody side panels and the the turbo 2.2 uh, 2 liter four cylinder in there. That's yeah. um, a, a great vehicle. <laughs>
4: That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. it's a great I, vehicle. I don't know why I like, like of all the things that were like of a time, that are not definitely 2021. The wood paneling on cars—I don't know why I see old cars, but I'm like, I love it. I know it's kind of weirdly tacky, and half the time it's sort of peeling off. I love it.
0: It's so funny too, because like our nostalgia for it is like we have the nostalgia for the nostalgia of the time that was nostalgic about the wood-bodied station <laughs> wagons of the 30s and 40s.
4: So I'm nostalgic when they for actually had wood years ago. Yeah, <laughs> you're
0: like, well, you're nostalgic for someone else's nostalgia.
4: Okay. Yeah, I am. Dang it. Yeah. <laughs>
3: Nested nostalgia. Right. Show title.
4: Yeah.
3: <laughs> Rivian also announced this week or, or maybe it was last week that they are building out their own charging network. Uh, much as Tesla has done, they, they call it the Rivian adventure network, which I have no complaints about that. You know, it's like automakers, you know, if they, they want to go out there and, and build, install chargers, you know, to get, uh, more infrastructure out there. So more people will buy EVs all for that. My complaint with what Rivian is doing is, you know, they're, they're building a network they plan to have, um, by 2023, 3,500, um, DC fast chargers, uh, at, uh, what, 600 locations. So 600 stations with 3,500 chargers by 2020, by the end of 2023, um, they're using this, the CCS chargers, which is the same as what you have, you know, from everybody that isn't Tesla. Um, so it's a standard charger, but these are going to be exclusive to Rivian owners. Anybody else driving any other EV with a um, with a CCS charger will not be allowed to use these, which I think is stupid. But you say there's
4: another note in there though. It says they're installing. 10,000 around the country that won't be tied to the Rivian network. Yeah,
3: those are mm-hmm. going to be level 2 chargers. So just oh, okay. the slower AC chargers like 3 and 6.6. It's going to 6. cost everyone else a
4: bone like here. Have yeah. You-
3: but you know, I, I I'd rather see, you know, all of them be accessible to everybody. I mean, I don't I certainly don't expect Rivian or Tesla or anybody else to give free charging to people who buy a Ford or a Volkswagen yeah, I mean, or a GM EV. It's not their, it's their job. Expensive.
0: To, it's not their job to become the charging yeah. infrastructure company for the entire EV owner.
3: Well, and, you know, and, and to give yeah. away free electricity. I mean, it, right. it costs, I, I'm right. well aware of how much it costs to install these things. I mean, you know, it's a couple hundred thousand dollars to install a DC fast charger, a single one, you know, and you've got to have enough electrical capacity and everything coming in. It's it's a costly endeavor. But, you know, I think that one way to make your money back on that is to open it up to everybody to allow everybody to use these things, you know, and charge them for it. Just like, you know, they charge for gas, you know,
4: it says they're going to charge their own owners for this. The company didn't release info on how much owners will have to pay. So it'll be Rivian only, but you're not going to get free yeah. charging at all.
3: Yeah. I'm, I'm sure that, you know, like most other automakers, you know, they'll, you know, when you buy the vehicle, you'll get some amount of free charging, yeah. but uh, you know, just the restricting it only to their own customers i think is is a fundamentally bad idea
0: i agree with that i mean i think that if you're looking at building a business it seems like a potential revenue stream i i also think you have to balance it by making your customers of your special thing feel like they are special um there's a middle ground there yeah, i mean
3: give, give give rivian owners you know discounted pricing you know charge charge extra for non-rivians but I mean, there's, there's ways to do it, you know, but I, I just don't think that, you know, if what you're trying to do is expand the marketplace for EVs and get more people to adopt EVs, you know, with one of the things, you know, my company, one of the reports that we publish is uh, an annual consumer survey, uh, you know, consumer profiles for EVs. And two of the three biggest barriers to entry for EVs are range, access to charging and cost you know, the range and access to charging, you know, go hand in hand. And if you don't have access to charging, you're not going to buy an EV, you know, make it as easy as possible for people to, to buy an EV and, you know, and more people will buy them.
4: This just gives you a reason to get a Rivian, but yeah, you're right. It doesn't help the overall EV market. Although maybe it does. I mean, even if you can convince someone to buy a Rivian over a, you know, a gas engine, You've at least gotten someone in the door with EVs who you know if they get another Rivian next time, maybe now that once they're into EVs, they'll say, Oh, well this time I'll buy a Maquis or a Tesla or a Bolt or whatever else instead. You know, it does get a person in the door, but just for their brand.
3: Yeah.
0: I would love for them to get to the point where they have to worry about conquests. Um, and I guess there's a little bit of that. People are very brand loyal. Mm-hmm. Rivian's making a great case for itself already. Their their trucks look really cool. They have a great team. I think they, they continue to build out their team and, and they're, they're not, they're not moving too fast where they become sloppy. You know that whole "move fast and break things" uh, ethos from from software can can hurt you if you try to do it. Try to apply it to automaking, or, or
3: hurt or yeah. hurt other people hurt on the, the road.
0: It feels like a misstep, but maybe there's there's some other strategy behind it that we're just. We'll see
4: how what happens once the Rivians are out there and they have their customers and see how long it stays. Yeah, Rivian only, or if at some point they say, okay, now we're gonna we're gonna change this up, you know.
0: Yeah, I mean, really, the the charging experience is going to be key, and that's a, still one of the best things about Tesla ownership is the charging experience is on point. Yeah, it, mm-hmm. um, it, it's generally just better than anybody else so far, and so oh, I, and could, think- I could see if Rivian wants to do that, where they want to make sure that you have a great charging experience with their product. I, I can see that.
4: And that te- it's funny. The Tesla chargers up here. Cause we get snow. So many of the Tesla charging stations, they're always cleared because of how they're located. So like the superchargers, you can always get to them. There's never a problem. Even when there's snow, some of the other spots where there are little chargers, like guys don't even know what they are. And there's like snow all packed up and you can't even, yeah. you can't even get to it to charge it, but you don't see that at the superchargers because they're always this super well-marked giant bank, you know, and everybody knows what they are. So even, yeah the access thing even in the winter you can always find yourself a supercharger at the supercharger network but you can't necessarily get to the same ev charging station for somebody else that you've been using all year because now some plow guy didn't catch that those two little poles were important and he's buried them in eight feet of snow right
0: (laughs) and they're like behind a fence that sometimes is locked yeah
3: it's all yeah well and, and, and that's you know that's that's another complaint i have about chargers like yeah good luck you know, half the time finding the actual, the physical charger, you know, you've got a map, you know, it shows you, Oh, there's a charging station here, you know, in this, at this mall, but you know, then you end up driving around for half an hour trying to actually find the physical charger. I mean,
0: luckily there's not not anything else at malls these days. So
3: (laughs) oh, that's true. (laughs) gas stations, you see the signs everywhere, you know, for a gas station, you have a biggest, biggest sign, shell station, BP or whatever. Yeah, you can see There's from never the any signs. Like, there's never right. any, there's never any signs on these chargers, so you have no idea that they're there.
4: Right, they're hard to find. And like when you have Tesla superchargers, it's normally a huge a bank of them, and they're yeah. so you know you you see them out of the courtyard. And when they're at a gas station, you cannot miss them. You know, lined up on the side of like the rest areas and stuff. In New Hampshire, have them. It's this huge bank of them. You could not miss that those are Tesla charging stations right there. They're never hidden. They're always very easy to find. They like can have a sign on the, you know, on the side of the highway, like a BP, but still once you, if you knew that they were there, when you get off the road, you're going to have no problem finding that.
3: Let's, let's do some listener
0: mails. All right. Listener okay. mail. We did it. We did right. like a little music intro for this. I'm sorry. <laughs>
4: anyway. Well, ask someone you to do it. A ask a listener to do yeah, it. I'm have a my... to little musical intro. That's good. Yes. Listener,
0: send in you you your, send in your, uh, your musical interludes, <laughs>
4: royalty free, yeah. please.
0: Yes, royalty free. We'll, we'll we'll give you um. What is it? Share alike. We'll we'll tell. We'll tell people who did it. Don't
4: yeah. we have loot? We need to send somebody some silly automotive
0: OEM loot.
3: We, we that's that's something on our to do list.
0: Uh, we have a longer so, to do list. We've talked well, about doing things. Uh, and I'll, I'll, I'll
3: I'll send you a couple of uh, flash drives with automaker logos on them.
0: And every every uh, every episode of the show. Um, yeah. Listen, I've got a to-do list that I'm going to get through in the next couple of weeks. I'll have time. So it's fine. Okay. <laughs> sure,
3: sure, sure. <laughs> sure. So uh, first up, Sean Whitehurst. Good morning, WB hosts. I just listened to your episode with a healthy discussion on supercruise on the Bolt EV. Earlier this week, a legendary member of the St. Louis Blues organization died in a car accident. It happened to be a Cadillac, which got me thinking. The autopsy revealed no fatal organ damage from the accident, instead listing cause of death as a cardiac incident. I know some autonomous systems take actions when a driver is not providing input. Do any uh, systems stop the vehicle? Fortunately, this this accident resulted in a glancing blow to a minivan with minor injuries and then an impact with a barrier. Are any companies openly discussing measures their systems could take during a medical emergency? Even stopping in a lane of travel on a highway may be safer than the vehicle continuing with an incapacitated driver. I'm just curious about these outlier situations in autonomous design. So yeah. the answer the answer is yes. Um, <laughs> Cadillac uh, or GM does this with Super Cruise. Um, they've got the infrared driver monitor system that's looking at the driver to make sure you're watching the road when you're using Super Cruise. And if you are not paying attention, or if you become non-responsive, the the system will and it'll alert you first. If you don't take the wheel, if you don't take over control, it will. Bring, start slowing the vehicle down when it gets to forty miles an hour. It turns on the hazard warning lights. If you're still non-responsive, it will bring the vehicle to a complete stop. And if you still don't respond, uh, you know, if, you, if there's indications that you are, you know, incapacitated in any way, it will in fact use the OnStar system to call for emergency services. It'll, it'll, again, it'll speak to you through the speakers first and say, "Hey, are you okay? Do you need help?" If you don't respond within a minute or two it will call for call for help. Um, and GM, I think is the, the only one right now that's doing the the call for help part of it. Um, I expect others will, I suspect Ford will be doing this when they launch their active drive assist uh, this summer. And also Nissan, when they launch the Aria with uh, at the end of the year with their pro pilot version two, but even pro pilot, the current generation pro pilot, if you, if it, Thinks that your hands are not on the wheel. If you don't respond when it alerts you, it will slow the car down and, and bring it to a stop. Um, and a lot, most other systems like this uh, will do this. Even Tesla's eventually uh, if, if it thinks your hands are not on the wheel, we'll slow the car down and bring it to a stop. If it doesn't it, plow and, into something first, I'm in, sorry. In, uh, I'm sorry. In the, in the case of a you know. Tesla, it may take many minutes to do that, uh, depending on, on where you are in the road conditions, but, but it will eventually stop. It doesn't call for help, but it, it, it will eventually stop the car.
4: I tried it out in the, um, the Nissan, the pro pilot assistant mm-hmm. or current gen and yeah, like we're driving like, okay, let's see. And it, it aggressively lets you know, it's like, Oh, yeah. It's like listening to like the red alert in Star Trek at a certain point. Like, woo, woo, woo. Like, okay, OK, OK, I put my hands in the wheel. But it, so there's no way that if you if you miss that, you should have been paying attention that you couldn't. So if you were incapacitated and that wouldn't wake you up, that would wake you up from anything. So you would have to really be incapacitated. And then it well Yeah. Bring you to a stop. Nice and straight line.
0: That calling for help part. Is something that's been part of OnStar for a long time. It almost goes all the way back to the original OnStar implementation. That was that was like, an original feature yeah. when, if mm-hmm.
3: the airbags went off in a crash, it oh, would wow. automatically call nine one one.
0: Which is like that's great, and I think that combining that with the ability of the car to actually get over to you know safely stop means that they don't have to wait for the airbag. Warning, you know, like to, to deploy, you don't have to wait until you've hit something. So, it's, it's I think it's a safety improvement.
4: OnStar has always been so good with that. Like, I, I did a thing years ago where they took us to their little OnStar call center and you got to experience what they did and hear the stories. It's kind of amazing. It's always one of those things, like, I think it gets underrated for just how much that can help you if something goes horribly wrong they, in your car. So yeah. it doesn't surprise me. That they're one of the first ones to say, okay, and also we will call for help if our, you know, super cruise decides that you're not, yeah, you're somehow in trouble and need help. I mean,
0: they invented the sort of telematics for the consumer like that. Yeah, um, as like, a yeah, consumer. they were the first in 1996. Um Yeah, on where is their like network operations center? Their call centers is, it's like in like South Dakota. Right. I don't Dakota, know right? all
4: their call centers, but there is a big network right in the um, Rensen downtown in Detroit. Oh, okay. Where there's like there's like a cave I, I but that building is so huge like you go downstairs and there's an onstar logo and a batman bat signal <laughs> that's I yeah, awesome pictures. and they're honestly somewhere i have a picture they're doing like development stuff but then they can take you up to where they have you know you have you can see the screens and it literally shows you how they can see that we're getting a lot of calls here we're getting a lot of calls there they can see like it's so cool they can see say there was an issue i don't know there was a flood there was a hurricane there was an earthquake they can see the sudden influx of OnStar calls and open things up so that they know, like, we have a problem here. It's it's an unbelievably sophisticated and interesting system to watch and to talk to the people who answer the calls, whether it's just the, hey, how do I get to the nearest Chick-fil-A or help, my husband's having a heart attack. It's amazing what that system is capable of handling.
3: That's cool. Yeah, and, you know, they've they've responded to, I want to say it's more than 100,000 Crashes, you know, sent out first responders uh, with a hundred thousand crashes over the last twenty-five years. Yeah, uh, so it's, you know, it's used a lot you know, and then, you know, also, you know, just for general help and assistance. so you know, what we're gonna see going forward in the next few years is a lot more cars equipped with these types of driver monitor systems that are you know looking to see if you're alert, you know, and one of the advantages to this, you know, is it can detect, you know, just in general, you know, distracted driving, you know, or if you're impaired. Um, or you know, if you if you're having a medical issue, uh, you know, or dr- or drowsiness, you know, because it, it's looking for your eyes and your head pose, and when when it does that, then it can uh, you know it can respond and either you know try to alert you you know to see if you are if you are actually um, you know ill or, Ill or injured, or um, you know just to get you back on track, hopefully.
0: Yeah, uh, and you know I tend to have that skeptical. Uh, approach to autonomy and self-driving cars as a thing like i don't think we're ever going to get there to full self-driving but maybe i'll be surprised but i think this is a really good use case for autonomous systems and, and automation yeah um it, it makes a lot of sense and it, it helps avoid crashes that would otherwise be worse e- even yeah. just that glancing blow that he talks about like it, it sucks that there was another car involved but if there was a way to you know um make it just be that bad versus like hitting something you know much more violently like,
3: that's, that's a good reason to have all that stuff yep all right next up <clears throat> get hemingway uh, hey guys i guess i can now say that without gender neutral preface uh since rebecca has left uh ged <laughs> well <laughs> you, snoo- you, you missed your opportunity if you if you'd sent this email in last week you would have been okay but i think guys but. is like a,
0: a gender- i'm okay with guys yeah, hey guys like that
4: that's en- that's encompassing enough for me i got okay. it okay
3: Hello, fellows. (laughs) Uh, We're not we're not easily offended here. No, Uh, she will be missed as she brought a perspective that was opposite what I focus on. And that's a good thing. And hopefully uh, I think, you know, Nicole will will bring some of that to us as well. Um, Electrification is the obvious future. And right now, infrastructure is a big obstacle, uh, which we were just talking about. There's been some action in the long haul industry with developing electric rigs. uh, But then in the consumer market, trucks with some nice towing numbers. I currently have a a 2015 Chevy Volt and love the electric side of it for running around town. In the year of ownership, I've gassed it up maybe twice. However, for anything long haul, I take my 2017 Nissan Titan XD diesel. I have a 36-foot travel trailer, uh, which we take trips with, and I can't imagine attempting anything outside of battery range, which will be significantly reduced while towing. I get range anxiety enough from a diesel on cross-country trips, trying to find a station I can pull into and more significantly out of at proper intervals is hard enough with an established infrastructure, and you can sure as heck can't pull that into a charging station where uh, where, that currently, <clears throat> where that currently an option. What chatter have you guys heard for this side of electrification? I'd like my next vehicle, which is still four to five years off, uh, to be a full electric truck, but I can't do that if I can't do the one thing a truck was built for, and that's tow. Side note, I've never really looked uh, at what you guys look like until <laughs> listening for about two years. And it's comical to me that my mental image of your voice has essentially had Sam's voice and Dan's body and vice versa. <laughs> uh, love the show. Keep up the good work.
0: I think that's an upgrade. Sam, <laughs> you have a deeper voice than I do. So that's good. Yeah, I think your interim step is going to be a hybrid, like a hybrid F, uh, F series.
3: Uh, well, no, I mean, we've got full electric trucks coming. Rivian's <clears throat> right. launching later this year. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Lordstown Motors claims they're going to be launching this year, but they're not selling to consumers anyway. Uh, and don't don't expect them to ever really arrive. Uh, but, you know, GM is launching the, the Hummer EV this year. And there's you know, there's going to be more conventional um, type uh, electric pickups from GM uh, probably within the next year. I think you know we'll, we'll see a, a Chevy pick electric pickup. Uh, Ford's launching the F-150 electric next year. There's the Cybertruck. Um, Ah, come on, (laughs) (laughs)
4: right. I mean, it's
3: supposedly, yeah. So there are, there are electric pickups coming, but uh, he's right though. I think this is a real challenge. I mean, what you were just talking about Nicole with, you know, the, the plow drivers, you know, (laughs) plowing the snow on top of the chargers. (laughs) It's hard. It's hard enough with a a car, you know, or, you know, smaller vehicle. If you're towing something, uh, with a truck, that's, you know, the, the, Operators of these charging stations really need to start looking at how to change the configuration of these vehicles because I know uh, Dan Edmonds, you know he he did several tests a couple of years back when the Model X first came out, doing some towing tests and trying to charge that thing up on a road trip while towing a trailer was really really hard because. You know these; most of these charging stations are designed to you know pull straight in or back in, you know, in bays because you're sitting there for a while. Um, and they're not set up like gas stations where you know where you drive in, drive out. And I think you know we're the you know companies like Electrify America and and uh, ChargePoint and EVGo and Blink and others you know, really need to start doing this. And I, I'm, I'm going to be really curious to see how Rivian does this. You know, we just talked about Rivian, but how they do this with their charging stations with, um, you know, mm-hmm. what are they, you know, are they going to arrange them in a way that you can do that drive in, drive out? Um, because right now there really aren't any stations like that.
4: I don't, you know, I think it's part of, you know, EVs are still in the process of being accepted by the public. You know, there's a lot of people who won't even consider one yet. Most of what most people are considering this point are vehicles that are just drive in, drive out is fine. Most people aren't considering towing with them. Like, I think that's still, I know it'll happen. I know realistically you can, but I think that's not where most of the EV using public is right now. And I don't know if they're going to be there for a little while yet. I think this guy is, is like kind of a, a nice exception, you know, that he's like, I want to be able to tow with mine, but am I going to be able to do it? I think for smaller towing jobs, you know, and more like, local like you're going camping a couple hours outside of your house you know not going on a major road trip towing a 36 foot trailer or something i think it's just because the public isn't there yet and they're just trying to get okay let's get the people who are most likely to adopt the people who are most likely to adopt right now they're driving cars they're not worrying about a truck they can tow with. so I almost like it feels like a phase two thing that they'll actually make the chargers work for that
0: i wonder if some of it too is a blind spot from the 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 folks that developed the current ev landscape um Mm -hmm. now that we've got automakers getting in there and really applying it to trucks they're gonna understand truck uses and they'll figure out how to apply that you know and how to make it work and and what changes to make um you know because i think that evs they've gotten their rise from folks outside of the automotive industry with sort of a narrow perspective. You look at who's at, at, you know, at the top of those, those companies and sort of driving product decisions. Um, there's not as, as many like automaker veterans getting them to this point. Now they're starting to to bring in automaker veterans. And, and, and my point is kind of going off the rails here a little bit, but like, I just think that, you know, as, as you have, the EV trucks integrated into your normal product development cycle, they're going to have to figure out all of those things. How do, how does it work? You know, car makers do this. Like, how does, it, how does it work at the gas pump? How does, you know, all of this stuff, like how convenient is it? How, what's it like to use? What changes can we make? Um, how can we partner with industry in, in certain places to make it a, a little easier? We can both sort of, you know, get some sort of uh, shine from a new development. So that's going to come as they... Uh, develop the, the trucks for for market. I guess where I was going with like you're probably going to want to wait a few years before you do an electric truck. Is like the ones that are going to come to market tend to be like really premium, like the Hummer. I I, I know that it it it's a truck, but it's kind of like that's a super premium bauble. Like I don't expect any of those to ever be used like a truck. I guess is, is, is like my my thought. And the Rivian, it's supposed to get here. <laughs> But <laughs> I'm 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 doing my skeptic bit, I suppose. Um, which I know
4: Rubien's, is a Rivian's going to get here because they've done a lot of stuff with their truck. Their truck is, yeah. it's, it, it's it, you know out there running live right. Emi Hall ticket They're, they're doing the they're doing loud. pilot. They're out there. You know yeah, they're
3: they're doing pilot production now yeah. with those. I, yeah, um, and and it's premium. I mean, it starts at sixty-seven thousand. You know, before the which, tax breaks, like, that's not ridiculous but, for a truck. Like that's yeah. true. Oh. Um, and and you know GM. Uh, you know, GM is going to launch, you know, something, you know, much more conventional, you know, than the Hummer, you know, more conventional pickup than the Hummer probably in 2022 Um, and Ford's, you know, doing the F-150, which is, you know, much more conventional, you know, very conventional truck. Um, So they'll, they'll be there, you know, within the next 18 months, you know, we will have a bunch of electric pickup trucks on the road. Okay. That's sooner than I expected, but. Again, I'm but but towing right. towing is going to be a challenge because you know when you when you put a tra- attach a trailer to an electric vehicle you can count on cutting the range in half. Generally, this is the rule of thumb, and so you know if you've got 300 miles of range, you're looking at stopping to charge every 150 miles. You know, at, at a Which minimum. Which is why
4: they're not people aren't really doing it. That's why I feel like it's like it's almost too early or something. Like we just yeah. aren't at a point where we can realistically tow. Solid stuff, you know, really tow at yeah. least long distance. Right. I think that's right. that's like,
0: the, the difference. Right. is like, can you tow cross country or can you tow, you know, within a 20 mile radius or something?
4: Yeah. Like, I think they work if you're just towing a short distance, like that weekend trip, day trip situation. But if you're towing every day and you're towing something heavy or you really want to go on a long distance. I don't think they're there yet. I don't know when they'll be there. and So that's why the chargers, yeah. I don't think are matching up with it. Well, and, that yeah. kind of driving doesn't happen for them just yet. They may not
0: be there for quite a while. I mean, yeah. I, it's a, it's a good idea. I think to look at what's going on in the heavy truck side and see, like, we're definitely going to see uh, electric. What is it? Class eight or uh, you know, electric yeah. box trucks the and lot, stuff, the, you know, like yeah. semis. You're going to see those for intercity and intra city use yeah. a lot sooner than you're going to see cross country. Just because, like, the, the the batteries are just not there. The charging is not there, and if you're going to make charging on that it, it, at all quick enough, uh, that's going to be really, really hard on the hardware, on the the batteries themselves. And so, it, it,
3: there's a lot <laughs> to get to that. Yeah, I mean, point. For 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 you know long haul trucks, you're looking at megawatt. Uh, one one to one and a half megawatt charging rates. You know, whereas today, the fastest chargers out there you know, are the Electrify America stuff, three hundred and fifty kilowatts. Yeah. Um, and you know the the Porsche Taycan is the first one that can use that. You know they, they charge at two seventy kilowatts. Uh, the Lucid Air coming out later this year is going to do three fifty. And there's there's others that are, are going to be coming out doing at three hundred to three hundred fifty kilowatts. But we're talking three to six times that much with these long haul trucks and that's <clears throat> that's technology that's still in development it doesn't it doesn't exist today it'll it'll get there they'll eventually
0: figure yeah. it out it or like it will
4: it's just oh, well. it, no it like, will yeah it, i mean it's still it's still, a, it's still several it's years of, off yeah it's just too far off. like it'll yeah. get there but i don't know if it'll get there before this guy needs to buy a truck well so if he needs yeah. to buy a truck and he wants to cross country tow
0: i still think that like you're going to have hybrid options which will get you better fuel economy yeah. and they'll they'll tow across the country no problem and they'll probably do some plug in too so you get an x amount of range electric only before uh before you have to yeah. run the gas engine.
3: There, there's there's the F150 hybrid there's a new tundra coming later this year which will probably have a hybrid option at at some point um so yeah those are those are viable options What's I he night.
0: driving now the Titan XD? Yeah Titan XD diesel. Yeah so
4: yeah. that's
0: that's a that's a pretty like that's half halfway between uh, like a 1500 and a heavy duty, right? Like that's, that's yeah. kind of uh, sort of, yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's going to be his keys just to, to sort of match up capability. All
3: right. Travis writes, I'm looking for thoughts on elderly SUVs. I have a 2003 forerunner with 235,000 miles. That is my third backup beater. <laughs> it's a solid driver. and hasn't given me any trouble other than a minor oil leak. We inherited my father-in-law's 2001 Suburban with 230,000 miles. The Suburban looks fresh off the showroom floor while the Forerunner has seen better days. Which should I keep as a people hauler, flood, Home Depot, ox? I live in Houston, so flooding is always a concern and snow isn't. Forerunner is all original, but recently redid the suspension and brakes. It's rust-free and the paint is completely faded and it's just the V6, yet I'm lucky to do better than 14 miles per gallon. Uh, The Suburban, on the other hand, is a rebuilt 5.3 liter V8, new transmission, and looks nearly brand new. It gets similar gas mileage, doesn't ask for premium in the manual, and has much more comfortable ride. But the forerunner looks cooler. My friends are evenly split on what to do, so I need adult advice. Well, you've come to the wrong place for that. <laughs> You're out of luck. <laughs> his, his daily drivers are a Kia Soul for his wife and a Chevy Cruze for him. And my wife said no to keeping both and or selling one of our, one of our dailies. His wife so, is
0: smart. <laughs>
3: yeah, so so you got to choose between a 2003 Forerunner um, or a 2001 Suburban. What do you choose?
0: I think you put the 2003 Forerunner on one of the auction sites that drives up the price. Bring, bring a trailer. Yeah, because uh, the Forerunner, even with ratty paint, like the Forerunner has a little bit more affinity for buyers. I, I mean, a really nice-looking Suburban, though. That's, yeah, hmm.
4: So he just so I'm following. He has to keep one. He has to sell one. Is that where we are? Yep. yep. Does he need the cash for it, or is his wife just like get this His, the car his wife is saying back? one
3: of one of the SUVs must go.
0: Well, I think his wife is looking at a driveway full of like five vehicles. Like cars. this is nonsense. Yes. Like get rid of these.
4: I uh, keep the ForeRunner just because I like it better.
0: I don't know. <laughs> oh, we're split. Sam, you're going to break the tie. <laughs> uh,
4: if you're looking for money, I would say sell the forerunner because it'll probably yeah, get uh, you more cash. But if you're like, which one is what I keep just to keep and like get rid of one, I keep the forerunner. I think that's
3: fair. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Uh, I think, I think that's, that's reasonable. You, you're definitely, you know, I think there's there's a fan base out there for stuff like the forerunner that, you know, post that up on bring a trailer and you will probably get way more than you expected for it. Mm-hmm. Um, Especially if you take some good photos of it, but um, you know, I mean that that suburban, you know, will probably easily run another two, three hundred thousand miles, you know, with with regular maintenance. Well, I mean,
0: but so will the forerunners, like, yeah. that's the thing. Like yeah. I'm, that's what I'm trying to get past. Is like, well, practically, the forerunner is going to be worth more to sell. They're both going to require. Although
3: Suburbans, you know, have good resale value too.
0: Okay, so here's the thing: which one rusts more? I've seen Suburbans. That's a GMT. Eight hundred, yeah, uh, two thousand one. So those lose their rockers <laughs> all the time. Um, they're this, otherwise. This one, he says, alive. it
3: looks brand new. You know, it's it looks like it's fresh off the showroom floor, even though it's you know twenty years old.
0: Yeah. Um. Hmm. That's a hard one. Maybe post them both, and then just don't sell the one that doesn't bring them.
3: Money. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> post them I both the with it.
4: The Forerunner is going to get more money. I bet if you posted yeah. them both, the Forerunner is going to get a more cash.
3: I, I think so too.
0: I I'll agree with that. So if you need to sell one and you need the money. Or you just for- want to get the most money. Yeah. You know, for yeah.
4: yeah. The forerunner.
0: Um, yep. The emotional choice. You know, I think the forerunner is probably more fun. Uh, and it's definitely, It also sounds like it's more of like a beater class car too. Um, with the way it looks versus the suburban that looks super cushy and nice. Uh, so, I don't know. The ForeRunner is going to be like they just have that reputation. They're like reliable and and uh, you know they they do all the off road stuff. So there's there's more people who are going to go bidding for that versus the suburban, which is giant. And I love giant SUVs and they're very useful. So i'd I'd keep the suburban
3: that that is another thing to consider you know it's like where are you going to drive it you know and he's using it you know for hauling stuff around so that extra space in the suburban may be useful to him but you know the size you know may be a challenge just in terms of maneuverability so
0: yeah Well he's in houston so i don't think the
3: size no. is a the problem <laughs> there's there lots different. lots of space in houston um yeah, tell us what you did That's, all right <laughs> uh i think we should probably call it there we're <laughs> it's lunchtime Hang <running> on 1201 well, <laughs> <laughs> yes I- Thank you for joining us. Thank you for joining us, Nicole.
4: Thank you. I'm glad to be a part of this. Are you going to come back
0: next week or have we
4: scared you? I'm going to come back next week. All right.
3: (laughs) (laughs)
0: All right. Well, thanks everyone for listening. All right. Bye. Thanks for listening to Wheelbearings. Hey, we love to listen to our listeners too drop us an email to feedback at wheelbearings.media with your thoughts, questions, or conversation starters. That's feedback at wheelbearings.media. You can also find us on Twitter at wheelbearingscast. Don't use any vowels except for the A in cast. So that's W-H-L-B-R-N-G-S, cast. Thanks again. We hope to hear from you soon.